Hi, I'm Jane Hilsden, marketing consultant and founder of Dragonfly Marketing. Welcome to this episode of the How To Do Marketing Show, a no-nonsense podcast about marketing for small business. It's our mission at Dragonfly Marketing to put marketing on the agenda for every regionally-based small business in Australia. Why? Because we know that when marketing is done properly, it can help your business grow. We believe small businesses are the backbone of our nation. When your business grows, it benefits not only you and your family, it benefits your whole community. Small businesses create a vibrant and connected economy. We employ local people, we donate to local charities, and we work together to build resilient and thriving regional communities. The How To Do Marketing Show is a podcast just for you and your small business. Bursting with marketing insight and information, this show will be a fabulous resource to help you know all there is to know about the topic of marketing for small business. Now, before I introduce my next guest, I wanted to ask you something. Do you want to find out how you can create high-impact marketing campaigns on a small budget? Because if you do, I think I have something that may help you. Something that we are immensely proud of at Dragonfly Marketing is the fact that we have won the Small Budget Marketing Award at the Australian Marketing Institute Awards for Excellence three times. And we've done this by creating super smart and creative marketing campaigns that have achieved amazing results on a super tight budget. This is what we specialise in. It's our superpower, if you like. But this doesn't come from just winging it. It comes from years of experience creating marketing campaigns for small businesses. We've got a formula. We know exactly what works. And now we want to share this information with you. If you think this is something you'd like to get your hands on, head to dragonflymarketing.com.au slash high impacts small budget and sign up to receive our e-guide 10 steps to creating high impact marketing on a small budget. And now to introduce this episode's guest. Hands up if the thought of speaking in a public arena scares the crap out of you. Well, if you raised your hand, then you are in fact joined by 73% of the population who also suffer from glossophobia or fear of public speaking. And research suggests that the reason for this fear usually boils down to one's underlying fear of being negatively judged by others. A fear that stems back to our early evolution on the plains of the savannah when rejection from our tribe could ultimately lead to death. But the thing is, being a confident speaker is a huge advantage in business. The ability to confidently get up and address a group of people and use your excellent communication skills to influence their behaviour is a skill that can help you to amplify your message, to build your personal brand, to drive leads to your business and ultimately drive sales. But now rejection from our tribe does not mean getting left behind to be snacked upon by a saber-toothed tiger. So it might be time to overcome your phobia and learn the fundamentals involved in becoming a confident public speaker. So my guest today is someone who can help you do exactly that. Andrew Griffiths is known as the entrepreneurial futurist. 
because he specializes in helping entrepreneurs and business owners to future-proof themselves. He is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and global presenter, and his clients include everyone from new and aspiring business owners right through to organizations like the European Union, CBS, Hewlett-Packard, and many more. He's built a strong reputation as trainer and mentor, and he helps people to become world-class communicators through writing books and building their speaker skills. And I am one of those people. I've just completed one of his speaker programs, and it was amazing. I learned so much about how to speak in public like a pro. And so I thought it would be awesome to get him on the show to share some of these learnings with you. So let's kick off. Hello and welcome to the How To Do Marketing Show, Andrew. Hello, Jane. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolute pleasure. I am really looking forward to deep diving into the topic um, of presentations with you today. Now, first of all, to set the scene, There are so many ways that you work with small business owners, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners will have um, a really good idea of who you are. But if they don't, in a nutshell, you've run... You have run small businesses, you mm-hmm. have written 14 books, you run multiple, multiple courses and programs of which I have attended um, two or three of those, if not more, and you are also an accomplished speaker. In fact, you've delivered over 500 presentations from Mexico to Iran, from New York to London, yay. And that's what I'd like to really kind of chat to you about today. What is it that you enjoy about speaking or presenting, Andrew? And how has this helped you in all of those businesses that we've just mentioned? It's a really great question. And it's something, I guess, over time that has probably changed. I was one of those really cool kids who did Toastmaster, right? So, (laughs) you know, straight away, you're up there with the kids that do gardening and and, uh, any (laughs) excuse to get out of um, out of actually doing anything else, Toastmaster and debating. And, uh, and, and I, I guess for me, as a 15 or 16-year-old kid at the time, I, I became quite fascinated in seeing how other people were able to engage a room full of people by getting up and speaking. It was pretty amazing for me. And, uh, and it, whilst I appreciated it, I don't think I realised the impact it had on me until even when I was later in life and I'm kind of talking to people and I realized that pretty much everything that I did, every career choice, every business I did involved teaching and it involved transferring of knowledge, transferring of skills. And so I have really been presenting since I was uh, a dive instructor, bought my first business at the age of 18 and I was teaching people how to learn how to dive. And I, I think what I really love is to transfer knowledge I, I love to be able to share stuff that I've learned, package it up, put it in a way that others can use to help them kind of grow their business or solve a problem, whether I'm talking about personal development stuff or whether I'm talking about how to grow your business or how to be a better speaker or how to write a book or whatever it might be. Um, I, I personally, I just love that being able to share stuff that I figured out. And, and I find to see a room full of people that, that you can teach your, your skills to, I, I find that incredibly rewarding, Jane. I just, everything about that I love. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And it's funny, I've actually never really looked at presenting as teaching, but that's mm. that's exactly it. Like my my mind just went then to my school teachers and my university, you know, educators just going, oh, of course, you know, that's that's exactly what they do. Um, yeah, no, I really, I, I really um, resonate with that. However, <laughs> I'm sure that all of our listeners can can remember the best presenter that they've ever seen and probably the worst that they've ever seen, no matter which environment that's in. And I think it's fair to say that there are a lot of people who never want to be, say, the worst presenter. Mm. And so perhaps this actually means that they are really fearful of public speaking. Maybe actually just positioning it as teaching might take the fear out of it a bit. Mm. Mm. But you know, the thought of getting up and presenting in front of a crowd absolutely terrifies some people. So whether people are, are teaching or whether people see it as presenting or, or just getting up and talking and transferring that knowledge, as you say, in front of people, how do you think people could actually work to getting over that fear? How, what are some suggestions that you have for people to overcome that? It, it's a really interesting thing again, because I think that, you know, we've read the statistics where people would rather die in a car accident or burn to death or something ridiculous than get up and speak on stage. It's, a, it's, an, it's the number one, number two fear that most people have. And I completely get that because everyone goes, oh, you're a speaker, you're, you're a natural, you, you, you know, you wouldn't understand what it's like to have nerves, you know. I, I, don't worry, I've spent much of my life where I would... I'd be sitting in the room getting ready to get up on stage and present to hundreds of people, and I'm looking at the door. I'm going, I can still make a run for it. Um, you know, that, that fear factor was in there. And I think most of it boils down to we don't want to look like an idiot. We don't want to look like a deal. We don't want to get up on stage and kind of and just completely flame out. And, you know, I mean, who wants that? Of course, you know, and, and that leads to that fear of, oh, my God, everyone's going to think I'm an idiot. I'm going to embarrass myself. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a whole pile of stuff around that. Well, okay, don't look like an idiot. So how do you not look like an idiot? Make sure you're organized. Make sure you're prepared. Make sure that you are rehearsed. Make sure that you really, you know, you've really done the effort and you've put in the time to prepare your presentation on whatever it might be. That's, that helps. That goes a long way to alleviating nerves without a doubt. The second thing I think that for me was I felt this enormous pressure, Jane, of being the expert and having to have to have all the answers. You feel like you go on stage and go, oh, my God, I'm, I'm the expert. So when I really started traditional speaking, you know, I was running a little marketing company in Cairns. I just happened to write a book about marketing that was very, very successful. But I had no marketing qualifications, no, you know, no university degree, no, no, nothing. I was just a street smart marketer. And all of a sudden, I'm asked to go on stages in Sydney and Melbourne and talk to big audiences about what you've got to do to be successful in marketing. So I felt like the absolute total fraud, total imposter. And I'm going, like, I'm going to get up in front of these audiences and say this stuff and I... I'm going, oh, my God, someone's going to stand up at the back of the room and go, Andrew Griffiths, you're full of crap. You don't know what you're talking about. I spent 20 years waiting for someone to get up and say that. <laughs> but what I realised and what took the sting out of it for me was I don't get up and say I've got all the answers. I don't get up and say if you don't do what I'm saying, you're an idiot. I, I would never do that stuff. I get up and say, hey, I did this and it worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. 
And it's really interesting for me how that took all this pressure off me, right? It took all the pressure off me to be right and to be, if someone got up and said, well, I disagree with that, I go, that's great. I, fantastic. Great to have another perspective. But I did this and this is what worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. That took a lot of the sting out of the, the tail for me of feeling that I had to be someone that I wasn't imposter syndrome, etc. And it's great. And the third thing is, I always say I became a great speaker and I'm proud to say I'm a great speaker when I stopped trying to be one. And, and, I, and I learnt that what is more important than technique about is your slide perfect, is your presentation, how you're standing on stage perfect, is nowhere near as important as if you're coming from the right place. So when I'm going on stage, my desire is to help the audience. Whatever topic it is that I'm there to talk about, I'm there to solve their problems, give them skills that they don't have, encourage them, nurture them, inspire them, whatever it might be. That's actually my my job, you know. So if the, the slide isn't quite right or the data projector doesn't work or something or I forget something, I used to get so stressed about that stuff. As soon as I said, you know, I, I'm going to stop trying to worry about that stuff and I'm going to focus more on being authentic and delivering my message. I took all the pressure off myself and I just got on stage and I was still well prepared and still all the rest of it, but I got on stage and started having fun. And I started really enjoying myself because I didn't care about the little things going wrong. I cared about teaching the people in front of me, the skills that they were there to learn. And so I think my motivation changed. I didn't need to look like I was the world's greatest speaker. I didn't need to look like I'm really smart, intelligent. I needed to show that I cared and I needed to show that I was passionate. I needed to show that I had solutions for their problems. And I, I had that big aha probably 10, 15 years ago. And, uh, and it was an amazing transition for me then because what I really, at one particular event, um, what I noticed was I finished this event, it was 500 financial planners, I got off the stage and, uh, and as a speaker, people come up to you and go, oh, that was great, rah, rah. And I had this chap come up and say, oh, Andrew, that was amazing, fantastic. And for the first time in my life, I, I felt different. I didn't need that. And then someone else came up and said, oh, my God, that was amazing. You know, that was great. I love and, and I kind of went, thank you. And I go, oh, something has changed in me. And I realized what it was, my bucket had been filled. I'd had enough people say, you're great, you're this, you're that, that I, my ego didn't need it anymore. Yes. And that gave me the pressure then, that took the pressure off me to again say, well, my ego doesn't need people to tell me I'm a great speaker or whatever. It really let me be just totally myself. And that ties right back into your first question about nerves and all that kind of jazz, is as soon as I stopped trying to be a great presenter or, or the world's you know, perfect presenter, and I focus more on helping the audience, solving their problems, etc. I started having a whole lot more fun on stage. Yeah. And I told more stories. I shared. I got excited about getting on stage because I'm I'm getting up there, and my job today is to help these people. You know, and and everything changed for me. I mean, that's a really long answer. Um, no, but it's such a profound one, actually. And I love that last point about the not needing validation. And I've, I've just been kind of thinking that through a bit. And, and I get it because I think even as a marketer, like even in the profession that you're in, I think while you're 
you're kind of like finding your feet and you're becoming an expert and you're doing your 10,000 hours and you're getting yourself out there and you're getting yourself into kind of new, you know, expanding and, and growing yourself you kind of look a bit for that validation too because Absolutely. you're a bit unsure and you're like, and so for people kind of speaking for the first time, they'd be, you know, they, you know, yeah, I guess really conscious about, well, did I do a good job? Did I not do a good job or, or whatever? But once you've done it enough time, and I, there must be kind of a, a tipping point, I guess, I that guess. once you've kind of get to that tipping point where enough people have come up and said, you're actually really good at this or you've done, you know, I think you you go, oh, okay, and you start to believe, you know, you start to go, oh, okay, well, I must be because people keep telling me, great, okay, well, I'll keep going. I think that would be such a great point to get to. You, you, I, you do reach that point, but also your audience knows when you're being authentic and you're there to help. I, yeah. I think we, we feel that intuitively. You know, we can listen to a speaker and we, um, we, we intuitively pick up the feel, the knowledge, their level of enthusiasm, um, etc. all of that rolled into one. So I, I think for, for me, without a doubt, when I, when I look at that, that, that line that I always says, I became a great speaker the day I stopped trying to be one. Um, yes, you've got to have a skill set and all the rest of it, but you've also got to appreciate what you bring to the table. And, yeah. and I think we're so big on comparing. Like I know it would be intimidating for people with me saying, oh, here's a guy I'm speaking after him. He's spoken in hundreds of countries and, well, you know, hundreds of presentations, 25 countries, 14 books around the world. If you're a newbie coming up, it's very intimidating to have yeah. someone that's got a whole pile more experience in front of you. But the reality is that the world has an incredible thirst for knowledge yeah. and the, the knowledge of the 20-year-old new person getting on stage, there's demand for that as much as there is demand for the 54-year-old grizzled veteran kind of thing. Yeah. And I think what we've got to do is we've got to appreciate and realise that you have a unique set of experiences, realisations, aha moments, you've learnt stuff, etc., and other people want to know that. And yes. so as a speaker, our job, if I'm just getting up on stage and I'm just parroting stuff which is readily available, there's very little value in that. But if I'm getting up and sharing my stories and I'm sharing my experiences and stuff that's worked for me, as much as stuff that hasn't worked for me, but I'm vulnerable enough to be able to share that, that has great value to an audience. And that's another interesting thing, Jane, is over the years... I, for a lot of the time, when I was less confident as a speaker, I would try and fill a 60-minute time slot with as much information yes. as I could possibly squeeze in there. <laughs> to the point Where there's poor audience, their heads explode at about 30 minutes because I, I um, assigned value to information. Now, my presentations in an hour, I might have seven points, but it's mostly I'm telling stories for the whole one hour. You know, and it's around, and every year I spend more of my hour telling stories, less of my time diving into the detail because the stories are where the value, the stories are where the value lie. The stories are what I got wrong, what I got right, what I've observed, what I've seen, how that's changed, you know, rah, rah. And, and I think when you start to go, okay, if I'm new and I, and I want to learn to speak and speaking transform my life in so many ways i don't have to be a perfect speaker you know i don't have to have all of the answers i don't have to be the person that's the absolute authority in everything you know i i, I don't have to have this 
um, incredibly polished kind of presentation skill set or whatever it might be is what I've got to have is a desire to help others. Yeah. You know, the ability to be able to share stories and, and to be okay and have the humility to be able to share good stories, you know, what you got right as much as what you got wrong. Mm. And, and I, I guess the, the courage to be okay with people disagreeing with you. Yes. You know, I, I made that line. I've been waiting for 20 years for someone to get up and say, Andrew, you're full of crap. You know, literally I was. No one's ever done it. Yeah. And, and now it's a standing joke. Someone will do it out of fun because I'll make mention of that line. <laughs> but it's that old fear factor that stops us from doing that. But I guarantee everyone listening to this, you have unique knowledge or experiences or both yeah. that is of huge value to other people. Yes. And, uh, and, and if you're brave enough to start to try and share that and to start to do some speaking, even starting with webinars and things like that, uh, incredible rewards come out of it personally and professionally. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think, too, back to your point about being prepared, um, that was your first point, that... Um, preparation piece I always used to be so I was like you like in terms of right how much knowledge can I jam into this so that they go away you know basically having a full marketing degrees worth of you know knowledge by the end of this and um but realize that yeah that that was that was too overwhelming but the other thing that I have been practicing recently and this has been something that you've spoken about I'm doing your speaker program and this has been something that you've spoken about a lot is the rehearsal side of things and and just being really prepared and something that I used to do because I can quite naturally get up in front of a crowd and start talking, I'm, I'm very happy to, uh, look, for some reason, I was just given a gene where I'm okay about getting up in front of people and, and chatting. So that wasn't the problem. Um, but just making sure that I'm prepared to actually kind of deliver the information, as you said, rehearse, make sure I'm not going to go over an hour, make sure my, uh, because I'm a very verbose person, so make sure that I'm not actually going to rave on so much about one point that I actually don't get the, you know, the other two or three points into my presentation, which I've actually promised, all that sort of stuff particularly now that we're presenting virtually, you know, just making sure the tech works. Like sometimes I use a teleprompter, so lining all that up, making sure that my, you know, PowerPoints are are coordinated, that sort of thing. If I've done all that and I know I've rehearsed, honestly, my nerves go. They completely go because I'm like, that's cool. I've got this. Like I've practised it. I've done the work. I know what I'm talking about. I know I'm delivering value. I'm cool. If if I haven't, I'm crapping myself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And isn't that interesting, though, because people don't tend to think about rehearsing presentations. Yeah. You know, for some reason, because they've never been taught. Yes. You know, I mean, I, I didn't really know about that till I was trained until I was taught. And I kind of went, oh, of course, you know, like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. And, and we all have a point as a speaker where we relax in the presentation. For me, it's when I get the first laugh. So once yes. I get the audience to laugh, then I'm relaxed after that. But but when you are rehearsed, and as we've spoken about um, in, the, in the stuff that we're working on together, Jane, you know, when you've done your re- research, when you know the audience, when you know the venue, when you know the town, when you've done all your homework, when you've got all that stuff, if you're just prepared and you've rehearsed your presentation, you've really nailed your opening in particular, 
Because the opening is the part where most people are most nervous. Yes. But you also have rehearsed it to the point where you go, I know that this is about 40, 45 minutes. Yes. And my presentation is about, because we're fearful of, A, we don't engage with the audience. B, they think we're an idiot. C, we finish too short. You know, uh, like we're supposed to talk for an hour and we run out of things to say in 10 minutes. Like yeah. I, I can't even imagine how that happens, but I've seen it happen on stage many times. Yeah, me um, too. You know, there can be that, oh, we go too long. Mm, you know, I, I'm, mm. I'm here. My topic is seven strategies for being a, a world-class speaker and it's an hour and I've, and I've only covered two. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, <laughs> like, that's the ultimate sin, right? It's like, yeah. sorry about the last five, you'll have to come back. <laughs> So rehearsal is a great – rehearsal and research. Like I rehearse presentations. I've got a new keynote that I'm working on at the moment and I'm delivering it for the first time next Wednesday night for an American audience. And, you know, again, I will have, I'll rehearse it word for word, you know, for at least two or three times before wow. I deliver it. And, wow. and, and that's only so that when I am delivering it, I can relax and yes. I can – you know, I, I can be a bit more spontaneous and I can, you know, kind of be myself. So the point of saying I became a great speaker when I stopped trying to be one, as you rightly pointed out, it's more a bit about I still do the work. Yes. But I'm more relaxed about it when I'm actually doing the delivery because I know I've done the work, but also I'm focused on the right thing, which is teaching people stuff, yes. helping people, solving problems rather yeah. than the other things that I used to, I used to, my priorities were mixed up. I focused yes. on doing a perfect presentation rather than helping the audience. Yes. And I think that's probably where people do get stuck because they, they're, you know, perfectionism. They want to get up and they want to be this, you know, Simon Sinek Ted sure. talker, you know, in their first, first presentation. And, and I think people listening to this, some of them will be business owners who need to get up and present to a group of stakeholders or even get up and present to their internal team to influence yep. them to change behaviour or, you know, to come on board with a particular project or whatever. So there's all sorts of different presentations. But I know I'm working with a lot of small business owners who actually want to become a professional speaker. So, yes, they have to present in their, their world, but... but they also want to hit the circuit because they, they, you know, they've got to that stage. They've been doing what they're doing for 20 years or whatever. They've got some things to, to share and they love the idea of that. And that's probably one thing that I've got out of your program is the difference between someone who can get up and candidly kind of address a crowd and someone who'll go and charge, you know, $10,000 and upwards probably for actually delivering a 45-minute or a one-hour um, presentation. So this is not just, you know, come and speak to the crowd for free. This is like, I'm going to pay you to do a really professional job. Now we've, we've spoken through some of the things. I mean, I think what you were talking about there in terms of preparation and, you know, don't try and be the perfect speaker are some of the skills that those people will need to, to consider to become a professional speaker. Mm -hmm. But what would you say like the kind of technical skills are between mm -hmm. someone who can get up and candidly address a crowd versus someone who's paid a buttload of cash to do so? <laughs> so when you move into the professional speaker stage, so, <clears throat> so you're going from being free to being a paid speaker, and as you say, you know, sometimes a lot of money, there's an expectation. And there's an expectation that you have a skill set in terms of how you are able to present to an audience. And 
so the, the technical skills that you need to be able to 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 master are like any skill they can be taught you know so but most of the time we learn how to speak from someone that we work with so most people learn how to present from a previous boss who used to do training sessions for teams so now you train like them i learned i learned to teach people how to die from the instructor that i bought my business from because he taught me you know we, we learn that side of things there the problem is we often haven't learned the the right skills or the skills that are relevant for now or the change so as a professional speaker you're expected to be a professional so in terms of you know being able to have you know high quality stagecraft or you know higher quality stagecraft you can you can present in front of an audience you can articulate you can there's a structure to your presentation there's a logical flow you can engage and entertain the audience which is a term that we would call stagecraft so overall the the whole interaction with the audience is one of a professional who would get on stage be able to get their message across and be able to share their ideas and their thinking um, and everything kind of worked um, accordingly so technical skills means you know you, you're proficient at doing that now because we all start at, at the, the base point where we don't actually have those skills and that's why you don't want to walk out on a stage to 10,000 people as your first speaking job you know like that would be a fairly awkward situation to to be in we start smaller and we tend to start speaking to you know maybe local business groups and you know whatever it might be you, you, and, and that's where you've got to learn how to do a bit of presenting you've got to you kind of got to have a few failures yeah. to be honest i've had plenty of those where I, in the early days where I, I kind of got it wrong um you know the, the mistakes that i made but then I, i'm a big believer in saying you've got to invest in training you, you'd invest in training in just about any other professional you know um need or or skill speaking is no different you know you, you need to invest in that particularly if you want to make it a career particularly if you want to make it uh um something that is an income stream for you or whatever because there are many things you can get wrong and, and there's many things that, that that differentiate a world-class speaker to a speaker who's not really you know, not really cutting it um, yeah. as well. Tech skills are one, but there's emotional intelligence of being able to read an audience. You know, we've spoken on my program, Jane, about energetic mapping, about slide decks. You know, one of the biggest problems we still see are terrible, terrible slide decks because people just don't know how to do good slide decks. Yeah. You know, all, all of those kind of things. So if you're really serious about getting into speaking, you've got to invest in it. Yeah. You know, I did a course years ago um, with Tony Robbins' team, two guys from there, Joseph McClellan III and a guy called Joe Williams, two American guys. And uh, and it was a four-day course. And I think at the time it cost me like 15 grand. And I really didn't have the money, but I was I was really, my speaking was really starting to to take off. And I my partner at the time was saying, look, you know, if you're going to be serious about it, you should invest in that. So by the time I paid for the course all on credit card, and, uh, and bought whatever it was that they were selling me as well, flogging video shoot or something. It was probably around 20 grand for the four days or five. It was a lot, a lot of dough, right? All on credit. I look back at that and that was, a made, that was the best investment I'd made. I, that was such a huge turning point for me. I learned, because these guys were world-class, like really, really world-class speakers. And uh, there were 60 of us on this program. 
and it was just extraordinary in terms of my skill set went through the roof, my wow. understanding of what it meant to actually be a professional speaker. Yeah. I, I kind of, that was really defined. And I thought I was a pretty good speaker and I realized exactly where I was in the pecking order all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, so there was a nice dose of humility kind of, you know, put in there as well. Yeah. But the investment, if I knew now, I'd pay $100,000 for that program. Wow. I wouldn't even think wow. twice about it simply because of what it what enabled me to do. Yeah. But it is daunting sometimes for some people as well and, and I kind of get that. Every speaker, we don't think that these incredible speakers have this amazing skill that you don't have. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a skill set that we learn, we develop, yeah. we grow over time and we all start at a space where we're not really that good. Yeah. And yeah. we learn to be better. And yeah. we learn to believe that we've got something of value to say. We learn to read an audience. We learn to, you know, share. I look back at some of my presentations that I've got filmed from 10 years ago and I cringe. I just go, oh my God, that's horrendous. What was I thinking? And, uh, and I'd probably do the same if I looked at one I did last year. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you're constantly getting yes. better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a really, that's a really good question. Uh, sorry, a really good point. And I think that's something, thank God I didn't have to pay $15,000, but <laughs> that's something that I'm finding going through your program. Again, I came into that going, well, I'm good in terms of, you know, I can put some slides together. I'm in marketing. You know, I can, I can articulate myself well. I'm confident in front of the crowd, but it's been amazing just how much I have learnt additional, how much stuff that, I just didn't even think about to to mm. you know to add to the to, to my skill set there. But then okay, so so speaking's one thing and <laughs> certainly at the moment, um, there's not a lot of people kind of doing speaking as a as a career, particularly face to face. And and now that the the virtual platforms are allowing us to kind of um, deliver presentations in a you know engaging way and people are coming more comfortable with that that's all great so so it is possible i guess guess to to forge yourself as a speaker and a speaker only but you use it in particular um as as one of your revenue streams yeah i would use it as one revenue streams i don't want to just be a speaker i just want to incorporate that into my kind of business model can you kind of talk about how someone might fit speaking or presenting into particularly small business um, owners into their marketing ecosystem? Mm. Like how do you think being a, a professional speaker or presenting to crowds of people that they don't know might be able to create business opportunities for them? Mm. Um, I guess the, the best way to talk about that is if I go back again to when I started the traditional kind of speaker role, so wrote a book about marketing, get asked to, to talk about marketing at events. The interesting thing was that came out of that, uh, yes, I was getting paid to speak, so that did become an income stream. But at most of the time, if I did a presentation and there were 100 people in the room, I would get about 10 to 15 to even 20 inquiries straight after that event, which was about you know wanting a marketing consulting consultant wanting coaching wanting training whatever it was uh, the business development that came out of being a speaker is extraordinary and even right through today it's like um whether i'm doing a webinar whether i'm doing a live event whatever it is it's excuse me it's an incredible lead generator 
for business. So, so what really changed? The more I spoke, I, I think it was the opportunity flow that started to change. So I would find that uh, if I was presenting, that generated so many leads. The more I presented, the more business that came in my direction. Same as writing a book, same as you know doing all those kind of things. So as a small business owner, if you looked at getting up on a stage as part of your marketing mix, it's an extraordinarily cool way to actually generate inquiries, business, etc. Even if you're starting out and you're not getting paid to speak, but you're getting up in front of audiences, like sometimes it's, it's, it's better that. I mean, for me, back when I was marketing, if I was going to write a marketing plan for, I don't say five grand or something like that, if I got five or 10 marketing plans potentially out of a hundred people in a room, that's pretty good money. Yeah. So, but it was also, you had this inherent credibility. You're almost like pre-qualified if they've had a chance to see you on stage, to see how you interact, to see and hear whatever your message may be. Very, very, you know, high level of credibility straight away. So I literally, it was a part of my marketing mix when I first started, you know, without a doubt, because I didn't really have a profile. Even before I wrote the book, I was talking about marketing in my town. Um, and, and it was like, because I was the marketing guy in town. Yeah. You know, like you in Port Macquarie, same yeah. kind of thing. You're the marketing lady. I was a marketing guy in Cairns. So I would be asked to talk about marketing all the time. And, I, and it was great. I always got, you know, I always got plenty of uh, business yeah. as a result of that. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that was very functional. I wasn't particularly good as a speaker, but I had good information to share. You know, and that led to even running workshops and government type things where I'd run a marketing workshop that then, you know, I would end up getting clients as well. So it's a really very, very cool business development tool in, in many respects. Uh, I think it's, it's a great tool for business owners to be able to share that. Yeah. Um, it, it's more so, that, that's one element, the direct business, yeah. but it's also a lot of brand building. So yes. you might turn around, a friend of mine uh, owns a few pharmacies. Now, he, he does a bit of speaking and it's not so much that he's going to get people rushing out and wanting to go to his pharmacy because they've seen him speak, but, but he's, he talks a lot about business and doing business. He doesn't offer services in that, but it builds his overall brand really well that he's in front of groups regularly at local level that then associate him as a good corporate citizen. He's a good part of the community. They have some form of emotional connection with the brand that otherwise they wouldn't have because they've seen him speak. Yeah, and that changes yeah. everything. It's yeah. like I remember I was talking in Queenstown in New Zealand and, uh, and Michael Hill, the jeweller, yeah, yeah. The man, was speaking before me. I didn't know there was actually a Michael Hill man. I don't know why. No, I didn't I think didn't that. Either. Who, who knew that? But he bought a diamond to hit the presentation that he had, which was a $300,000 diamond. That, uh, that he just had purchased and it was kind of bought it to show what that looks like. And it was very hard to speak after him because the ladies in the room had lost all focus and the men in the room all felt totally inadequate uh, <laughs> after seeing that around. But it's amazing the emotional connection I still have to Michael Hill, the jewelers, because I've met Michael Hill, the actual man. Yes. You know, and, and, and so when people for your business's brand, if you're saying, well, no one's going to come and buy my products simply because I'm talking about my business at a chamber of commerce kind of event, but your brand value, your brand integrity, yes. your brand reputation, all of those kind of things, I think come into play a lot more uh, yeah. as well. So don't always just think that it's the direct linear thing. I present, I get 10 new clients. That's lovely. But 
don't underestimate the value of the, the brand building that you're doing for your, uh, for your business as well by speaking. 100%. And that's not as easy to measure as the 20 people it's that come not. up afterwards that you convert to a, to a yeah. business, whatever it is. And then what about, so, you know, what, six months now, um, you're still in lockdown, which I'm terribly sorry about. Um, but that, but you have been, you have still been speaking and presenting keynotes and presenting workshops like about out of hell, it sounds. So, so tell me, what's the difference between, like, what are the key differences between, and, and I guess nuances between delivering an online keynote, and let's call it a keynote, um, versus one that's, you know, in front of a couple of thousand people face-to-face? It's, uh, it, it's harder doing virtual. Yeah. I, I think we would all agree with that, particularly as we all have Zoom fatigue and yeah. all the rest of it. Um, it's harder to engage an audience because everyone who's on, on Zoom, if you're seeing 100 little screens or whatever it might be, the reality is people are distracted. They're still checking their email. They're still checking their phone. They're still yeah. kind of doing what they're doing. You can't really do that in, in an auditorium when there's, there's, you know, there's a stage. It's, it feels inappropriate and it's just like checking your phone when you're in a cinema. You know, it's like it's somehow it's kind of wrong. So it's harder to... It, it's harder to create engagement in the virtual world, let's say using Zoom, for a number of reasons. One is we don't have enough external stimuli that we would get when we're face-to-face that you can feel the energy in the room, etc. You can see an audience. That's the first thing. The second thing is we're all on Zoom all day long now. Yeah. So to actually be on Zoom for an event is yeah. not actually that special because You're it's right. just what we're doing all day long. Yeah. So the Zoom fatigue thing is coming in. We're saying we want less time on Zoom now, not more time. So it's got harder to stand out from the crowd. You've got to, you've got to, you, you don't get the feedback from the audience that you mm. get in a room full of people that you can then adjust your presenting style, you can engage differently. Uh, I, I mean, you have a room for an audience. You can physically see everyone's reaction. You can physically see when they laugh and hear when they laugh and you can feel if the room is hot, if people are distracted, you can feel energetic shifts. You don't have any of that really in the virtual world. So it's much, much harder. So you've got to work harder as a speaker and you've also got to get a little bit more creative about how you do it. Um, But in saying that, you know, a really interesting thing though, Jane, I I think what we've started to realise and certainly why I'm still getting speaking gigs and a lot of other speakers are, is that people are realising just because you can use Zoom doesn't mean you can present. No. No. And my knowledge is no different whether I'm on stage or whether I'm doing Zoom. So my 35 years experience, what I do, is still there. So what's actually happened is there are a lot more speaking opportunities coming up simply because people are still saying, well, we want to get authorities, we want to get experts, we want to get people knowledgeable to be able to talk to our audience. Mm. But all of a sudden we can pick from people around the world Mm. because in the Mm. past, if I was going to, if someone was putting an event in Las Vegas, and they were wanted speakers, there's a budget, budgetary constraint. To get someone like me to come from Australia to Las Vegas with airfares and fee, rah, rah, it's probably like 25 grand. And so you can only have so many of those speakers. But when we're not putting on a physical event with, and there's no travel required, my fee is the same as speaker fees all around the world. So we're actually now 
getting more speaking opportunities from around the world because people are going, well, we're going to send the same, spend the same money if we yeah. got local speakers as we're going to spend if we got people from Australia or from America or England. Yes. So the, the, the playing field has been leveled, which is really kind of interesting. And, and I've done, during lockdown, I've done keynotes in England with English audience, Spain, America, Singapore, um, where else has it been? Like piles of different New wow. Zealand. Um, yeah. And again, delivering that because of, of all of those kind of reasons. That the, it's, a, it's a more level playing field. The budgets can cover speaking fees and people are paying more for virtual speaking, which really wasn't valued that much before. Yeah. But now, now it is. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm doing paid keynotes all the time uh, yeah. uh, virtually. So, you know, yeah. that's, it's happened. Well, that's, that's, that's good to know. And um, I think that's a great segue into something that can sometimes be a bit of an elephant that sits in the room, particularly with a lot of speaking opportunity, and that is money. Mm. Not afraid to, to discuss a little bit of cashola on the, uh, on the show to put things in perspective. Getting paid for speaking. Now, for me, this has been a huge block. In an effort to promote my business, I'm often asked to present for free and, and I often provide presentations mm. for free and it's exactly for that reason that you spoke about before because it's a good lead generation tool. So if I make sure that I get in front of the right audiences, with you know, for, for free and I get people coming up to me at the end, which I often do, um, saying I need a marketing consultant, I need a plan or whatever, great, happy days, that's fine. But as small business owners, and particularly if we're experts in our field, our time and that IP is valuable. So if we're offered to a speaking event, say, at a huge conference that, that will probably drive some of those leads, is it still important to charge for that presentation? And how do you suggest we tackle this so that we create a win-win both for the conference provider and ourselves? Mm. It's another really great question because this becomes one of those um, little hurdles to overcome for most people is that the biggest shift to make for most people is to go from speaking for free to being paid. Yeah. You know, what, even if it's only like 500 bucks or $250, yeah. my first speaking paid speaking job was $250. Wow. You know, so yeah. to, to look at that, it's kind of interesting. So, um, I think there's there's a there's a few different ways of looking at it as well. So I I I'll still do free speaking jobs if there's if if I want to because I you know maybe it's to help out a friend of some sort. Um, if I want to because it's it, it's I feel that there's good exposure to do that and then I can kind of leverage that. Um, that helps me get other speaking jobs like a TED talk for example. You do a TED talk TEDx talk. It's you're not going to get paid to do that. It's going to be a freebie, but it's very leverageable. You know, right. as, as yeah. a speaker, if you've done a TEDx talk and you know, like your credibility goes up dramatically as a speaker as well. Um, so, so I, I think that people sometimes go, "Oh, I'm I'm going to stop speaking for free," you know, rah rah. And I go, "Well, I, I, I still speak for free, and it depends on what the, that purpose is. Sometimes for not." for profit i might say well yep i'll do a keynote for free you know etc or i'll charge you and then i'll donate the money back is what i normally do um so that don't be afraid of doing speaking jobs as if there is a there's a clear value in doing it in terms for your brand or, or potential leads etc you've got to kind of make that assessment in the same vein though 
don't be afraid of saying no to mm. speaking jobs because mm. everyone promises you the world and often they don't deliver, you know, yeah. that side of it. So I think that it's, there's a nice kind of a shift in being able to say, well, you know, I'm doing it. I don't really know that there's a whole lot of value in doing it. Why would I do it for free? Yeah. So, so be okay with either scenario. The The real key is to actually be okay with starting to charge. And, mm. a, and a line that I always use is when you get that nebulous email that says, oh, look, I'd love you to come and have a bit of a chat about <laughs> thing my 500 people that are all paying to come along. And you kind of go, because you know how much time and effort is going to be involved in that. Yes. The line that I say to everyone is you should email them back and say, that sounds fabulous. Can you please tell me what the commercial arrangements are for love this it. particular event? And it's a line that changes. Most people who I mention that to, they go, oh, my God, it changed my life. Because now the person then's got to come back to you and go, oh, could you tell me what your speaker fees are? Or, oh, well, we don't actually pay. Have. You yeah. know, <laughs> we don't have a budget. We don't have this. We don't have that. But otherwise you end up in this weird thing. I don't know if this is a mm. paid gig or not. I don't mm. really know what it is. But you've also got to draw the line in the sand and say, I'm a professional speaker. I charge for speaking. Yeah. And, uh, it's a service that I offer. Um, yeah. And that's a bit of a hard leap for many people to make, that, yeah. that initial one. So what's the commercial arrangement for this event? Soon lets you know, is it paid? Is it free? What's your speaking fee, et cetera? And I think another interesting thing here, Jane, is we make assumptions yes. that, that about events and go, oh, well, that'll be a freebie. It's, don't make those assumptions. I've done plenty of presentations for not-for-profits and uh, you would assume that it's, it's a free job, but no, it's a paid job. Mm. You know, if you say that, what's a commercial arrangement? They'll say, what's your speaker fee? Because they're going to use that event to raise money. Mm. You know, mm. It's a fundraiser. It's a, mm. Mm. Um, so if I'm in a room and they're going to generate two or $300,000 out of me speaking at that event, why wouldn't I be paid a speaker fee to be there? Now, Often I'll decide whether I want to donate that money back to the charity because I want to support it, et cetera, but, but that's my choice then. Yes, that's you know? a transaction that still occurs regardless of whether you... Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that we do reach a little bit of a frustration stage as well where we get a little bit sick and tired of speaking for free all the time. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. it does take a lot of time, does take a lot of energy, does take a lot of investment. So my overarching response to that question really is... It's okay to speak for free if there's a really clear outcome or you yeah. just want to do it. Yeah. It's a TED talk or it's a whatever it is you want to do and go, yeah, you know, that's cool. But it's also okay to say what's the commercial arrangement and yeah. then you decide what you want to do from there. And it's very okay to say, no, thanks, that's just not for me. Yeah, yeah. And I had that liberating moment. I took that advice, you gave that advice, and um, I took it and was approached by, and I think too now, because everything's virtual, there's probably more people go going and asking for the kind of Absolutely. come and have a chat request. And I sniffed one of those coming my way and I asked her about, well, who's your target audience? You know, I assessed the opportunity in terms of the leads for me. I don't think there was much opportunity. And so I went in with the question because I think there's just something not really confronting about that. What's the commercial arrangements? It's not like you're saying how much you're going to pay me or, you know, you, you know, can you afford me kind of thing? It's what's the commercial arrangements. And as you're right, and you're right, because it will come up with a, with a pretty clear answer as to where they stand on that. And I asked that, uh, that, that question and immediately she said, um, well, we let you promote your stuff. And at that point I said, well, I, 
you know, I think your audience will find what I have to say really valuable, but honestly, your audience is not typically, you know, an audience that would buy from me. I don't really have products for them um, or a service for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, all oh, right, well, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, tell me how much you want and, and, um, and I'll go and get that, that signed off. And, and I haven't got back to her at this stage, so I don't mm. know whether that's just a bit of lip service or not. But for me, it just, I was like, oh, that was so easy. Like, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like this is, this is not something I should really struggle with in the, in, the, uh, in the future. So I've spoken so much about this speaker program <laughs> that, that <laughs> I'm doing. Um, and you do, you help people to fine tune their speaking skills with this program. You do, like it was supposed to be a retreat that was supposed to happen in March in Victoria and it didn't. So you've de- delivered it online. Can you share a little bit about how you might be able to help other people um, get their, their speaking skills up to scratch? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jane. Uh, I, I think th- this program in particular, is, it's called Speaker 2.0 and it's a virtual 12-week program, uh, but it's it's live as in we do live masterclasses and webinars and, and e-learning and all that kind of stuff. And, and I've been doing speaker training for years in, in terms of teaching people. I started off doing one-day events and and, uh, and and workshops. And then over the years, I've done everything from 12-month programs to group training and all that kind of jazz. And what, I, what I've realized, again, is like most of the stuff that we've spoken about even today is that it's a big, big topic, this speaking. That There's a lot to learn. And... I, I put together programs that address whatever level you are as a speaker. Um, I can help you get to that next level. So if you're an experienced speaker, you can do my program and you're still going to go to your next level. If you're a new speaker, you can do my program and you're going to go to the next level as well. So it's not like it's just for beginners or just for experienced people because it's the depth of the knowledge that you want to take on board that, yeah. that, that kind of identifies that, which I think you would agree with. Yeah. It, it, like the people doing the program now, the one that you're on, some of them are brand new speakers. Some of them have been speaking for quite a while. It's quite a mix of people. Some have written a book. Now they want to start speaking. Some of them are business owners that are developing in that. And it's like a crash course in speaking skills, the business side of speaking, stagecraft, all of that kind of stuff, and just giving people the tools and the frameworks to say, this is what a world-class speaker does. You work out what level of this you want to kind of take yes. on board. Yes. And I think that that's, that's why this first program, the virtual one, again, has been so interesting because my problem is I can... I can go so ridiculously deep that it's almost overwhelming, yes. you know, on that. So, I, you know, just being able to kind of pull that back to the level and going, okay, everyone's going to be able to learn what they need to learn out of this. And you know, we're covering everything from how to look after your voice to speaker health to energetic mapping of presentations to subtle selling yeah. um, to the business of being a speaker to um, presentation structure, slide deck structure, all of that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot of knowledge there in there. Lot. Yeah. And again, I look at it and go, that's a course I wish I could have done 20 years ago. Yes. You know, so as, uh, and, and looking at that there. And, and it comes back again to that point of whatever you want to do from a speaking point of view, it needs to be a generic enough program that I could say, well, if you want to develop your speaking skills to generate leads by speaking, great. If you want to be a professional speaker, this is going to be that that path as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and over the years, I, I've trained everyone from priests to wow. politicians, 
to uh, to all kinds of, like the, the diversity of people to sales managers who just got to tr- you know they've got to present a lot in front of teams yeah and just yeah. need to work on like skill sets as well yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and I find that really it's the same skills that everyone needs you know it's just that as I said right back at the beginning Jane these are just skills that no one's ever taught before yeah. so yeah. you know and there's so much that can be taken away just sheer nerves anyone who's who's driven and fearful of nerves to you know people say oh can you stop me being nervous before i go on stage to say yeah i can i i can certainly i can if you do the rehearsal if you've yeah. got a great structured presentation Agreed. all that other stuff yeah. your nerves you won't have nerves you, you'll be in control so yeah. There's a lot of stuff to to learn, but it, but I also like to feel that it's there's a nice versatility about that because everyone's little speaker journey is quite personal as well. Yes, yes. You know, yeah. it's like I used to teach people how to dive, and I remember a lot of people that I taught to dive were doing a dive course to overcome their fear of the ocean. And interesting, uh, yeah, right. And I used to constantly be surprised by that, and I, I admired it. But yeah. It was also challenging because they were often. The ones that would freak out and, mm. you know, rah, rah. Yeah, that it, would be uh, me. Mm. It, was, yeah. it, it was that common um, kind of a thing. And, it, and it's interesting um, with speaking as well that it's like I think a, a lot of people want to overcome that fear of speaking as well. And I go, that's a nice thing to overcome. It's a nice yeah. challenge yeah. because for some people it's actually holding them back in their career. Yeah, great. Yeah. You know, yeah. A, a lot of people that I've trained have said, oh, look, I can't. I, I, my, I've got increased responsibility. Yes. I've got to, you know, do more and more. And that now means I've got to be speaking to more audiences, more teams internally. Yeah. And yeah. my speaking is what's letting me down. That's and, right. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's a shame. So, yeah. So I get a lot of people like that as well. Yeah. Uh, who go, I just, I need to be better at speaking. Uh, yeah. For yeah. my career. For the, so, yeah, yeah, everyday stuff too. Yeah, no, I, I can I can appreciate that. And even in the case of a small business owner too, you know, when they are looking to get outside of their comfort zone or scale the business beyond their kind of, you know, low-hanging fruit, that's exactly where they will kind of want to maybe get get comfortable speaking to to crowds of unknowns. So, so if any of our listeners do want to connect with you, where can they find you? Easy, easy, easy. www.andrewgriffiths.com.au Excellent. My goodness, I feel like we have just covered so much ground in that. I appreciate your generosity and um, your insight that you've just shared with us there, Andrew. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome, Jane. Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to. It's really nice to talk about this kind of stuff. I hope we haven't. Um, uh, I hope we haven't gone too deep, too hard for for the audience. But it's it's a it's a great topic to be able to talk about. It sure is. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the How to Do Marketing Show. Hey, if you are really enjoying these episodes and feel like they are helping you become a better marketer head into your podcast app and hit subscribe. That way you will not miss an episode and the marketing goodness will just keep flowing in. And if you know a small business owner who you think might also find this episode helpful, please grab a screenshot of the episode and send it over to them. And remember, if you are looking to create high impact marketing on a small budget, head over to dragonflymarketing.com.au slash high impact small budget 
and sign up to receive our e-guide that will give you 10 actions that you can take right now to help you get better bang for your marketing buck. And until next time, happy marketing. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 